Good morning, everyone. So good to uh, be here today. We're glad that you are here, either in person or online. Um, my name is Keith Crow. Uh, Brenda and I have uh, had the wonderful opportunity of being part of this family for uh, almost seven years now, and um, it's been a true joy and uh, a great blessing for us. Uh, this morning, for just a few minutes, I want us to look at a character in the life of Jesus who is of paramount importance. It's a story that we all know, and especially I think it's in our hearts and on our minds this time of the year. We're going to begin in just a few minutes. If you want to open your Bibles or your telephones or whatever devices you have that you have your Bibles on, we're going to look at Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25, and then Luke 2, verses 1 through 20. I, um, I want to take a minute as I kind of made my way back around the auditorium. I kind of detected a little uh, anticipation in the kids who were going to class. Uh, it is that uh, wonderful time of the year, and Brenda and I want to wish for you during this uh, next week as you celebrate with your family and friends and your traditions and all the joy and happiness of the season and uh, the food and all the good things that go with it. Um, we're going to begin, if you'll bow with me, and let's have a prayer together. Eternal God in heaven, we um, give you thanks for the blessings of life. We thank you, God, for this time of the year when we celebrate the birth of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you'll fill us to overflowing with peace and the presence of your Son and your Holy Spirit so that the world, Father, will be able to see more of Jesus fully through us and in us, Father. Help us as your children to live, Father, so that all the glory and honor will be given to you. And Father, we pray that you'll help us to to not fix our focus on the world. There are so many distractions, so many things that want to draw us away from your Son. Father, we pray that you'll help us to fix our focus not upon the world or upon ourselves, but to always, Father, focus upon you. It's in your Son's name, Father, now that we pray, and amen. This morning, I, I want to start with a, a Christmas story. Um, it's been around for a long time, and you may have heard it. It's, um, it's one of my very favorites, though. Um, I can tell you as we begin that I'm, I'm really not too certain about the authenticity or possibly even the accuracy of this story, but I believe that it has some great lessons that are germane regardless of the time of year. In 1971, Suzanne Haynes uh, had just graduated from Kansas State University in Manhattan, Kansas, and she was assigned to become a second grade teacher in a very rural western small town in Kansas. Um, she was um, going into that first year of teaching second grade with great enthusiasm and energy, as I know 
we have lots of teachers and former teachers in the audience today. Um, during the early parts of November, she approached her principal and said that um, her second grade class would like to put on the nativity play as a Christmas pageant. Principal thought a few minutes and said, well, you know, we haven't done anything like that for a long time, but okay, <clears throat> we'll do it. Um, Suzanne's enthusiasm uh, for the play and all the things that were going to go on with it suddenly became very contagious. And before too long, parents and other teachers and um, faculty and those at the school um, were busy coordinating all the efforts to go into this pageant. There were costumes and staging and lighting and um, lots of things that people were involved in to help in the production. One that Suzanne was assigned to, of course, was assigning the parts in this play for her second graders. There were wise men and angels and shepherds, and there was, of course, Mary and Joseph. One of the students that was a favorite of Suzanne's and also the other second graders was a boy named Wally. Um, Wally was in second grade, but he really should have been in fourth grade. He was much larger than most of his fellow classmates, and that was sometimes intimidating, but he was gentle and kind, and um, all of his classmates really loved him. Wally was a, a natural protector also of any child that he felt was being bullied or mistreated. So Wally came to um, Suzanne, Miss Haynes, he came to her and told her that um, he would like to have the part of the innkeeper. Um, Miss Haynes was somewhat relieved because she felt this would be a good part for Wally. There weren't a whole lot of lines to maybe confuse him, and um, his size would make a refusal of the lodging for Joseph and Mary to the end much more forceful. Well, the, um, the big night arrived for the play, and Wally, of course, was caught up in the magic. He kind of stood in the wings, waiting for his cue to go on stage. He stood there and watched with great fascination with uh, Miss Haynes close at his side. She wanted to make sure that Wally didn't wander out onto the stage really before his cue. Well, the time arrived and um, Wally took his place and right on cue, the play was going marvelously and all the kids had memorized their lines and it was just a fabulous production. And Wally, right on cue with great enthusiasm, delivered his lines to Joseph and Mary. The inn is full, he said. There is no room for you. Joseph uttered his plea, and Wally hesitated and relaxed his stance as he kind of looked down at Joseph and Mary. Um, Miss Haynes prompted him from the wings and said, no, mouthing to him, no, no. Be gone, there is no room. Well, um, Wally, on her prompting, certainly repeated very carefully, No, be gone, there is no room for you. Joseph and Mary began to 
move away from the end. And Wally stood in the doorway and his mouth was open. His brow was creased. His eyes began to fill unmistakably with tears. Suddenly, this Christmas pageant became different from all the others. Don't go, Joseph, he exclaimed. Bring Mary back. You can have my room. A quiet gasp from Miss Haynes in the wings. Uh, the second graders begin to look at each other very awkwardly like, what is my line? Um, the audience became a little anxious and there was tension. And um, then the message. The message of Wally's line came through. The audience began to laugh. There was clapping and there was hugging. And audience members turned to one another and wished each other Merry Christmas. After an unscheduled, it was a night and a Christmas program, though, that everyone said, I would never forget. Every time I hear that story or think about that story, I thought about what Jesus said in Matthew 18, verses 1 through 5, about little children. I, I thought about them as they always file out on Sunday morning and head down to class. I thought about the compassion that couldn't be restrained, and I always ask myself, do I have that? Is there room in our hearts for Jesus? It seems like to me that the world is always so interested in crowding him out. Revelation 3 and verse 20, we know that verse. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. Um, we're going to look now at Matthew the 18th, or I'm sorry, Matthew the first chapter, beginning in verse 18. We're going to look at a very important person, another important person in that story that we all know. But unlike Wally that we just heard about, this man is the lone silent member of the cast, and I think he's often forgotten in this story. The angels bring heavenly greetings, and wise men seek the king, and Herod issues a decree. But Joseph is silent. There are no words. There are no quotes. However, Joseph, just like Wally, is irreplaceable in the story of Jesus. A man on display with not a lot to say is what I entitled this lesson. Um, as we search the Gospels, I, I think I did a pretty thorough job, but we discover that they do not contain a single word that's recorded from the mouth of Jesus' earthly father. We know he spoke. We know Jesus spoke, and we know that there was dialogue. 
But I want to suggest to you this morning as we take a closer look at him that is often the case, actions speak louder than words. I, I want to suggest to you today that Jesus stand, or Joseph stands as a testimony to the value of integrity, obedience, faithfulness, and especially the honoring the entrusted role of fatherhood. What we know about Joseph is really very limited. It's found in the books of Matthew and Luke. We know that he was a direct descendant of David. He was a gracious man who kept the laws of Judaism. He was well respected. He was a skilled carpenter in a small town of Nazareth. Every time I read about Joseph, every time I think about him, I don't know who wrote this quote, but I think of this quote. The measure of a man is to do what God wants in spite of what others think. I, I want to suggest to you this morning um, four characteristics. I'm sure there are many more. I want to suggest four this morning. Characteristics of this silent man, if you will, that I certainly need more of in my daily life. We're introduced to Joseph in the middle of a personal crisis. Um, maybe you're in the middle of a crisis today. Surrounding all the festivities here and other places and all the family and friends and all the things that we celebrate, all the celebrations of this Advent season, love and joy and peace and hope, all the things that go on this time of year, sometimes crisis and struggles may loom large for us. They can be relational. They could be financial, they could be spiritual, they could be addiction. I thought about what Will talked to us about just a couple of weeks ago when he talked about struggles. You know, struggles and crisis are a part of what goes on in this fallen world. Joseph's personal crisis kind of started this way. He had become engaged to a beautiful young woman. He had worked hard to establish an income to support his new bride and begin a family. He was committed to Mary. He believes that she loves him. And then he gets the news that his bride-to-be is pregnant. Heartbroken? Betrayed? How should he respond? How should he respond? He could publicly shame her. He could turn her over to the authorities to be stoned. He sure could ask a lot of questions to her. How, how could you do this to me? Who's the father? He could have demanded a bitter sentence. He could have been pretty harsh. 
Instead, he chose a righteous mercy. If you look at verse 19 of our text, um, before, before any divine explanation, Joseph chose mercy. No malice, no explosion. I, I thought about years later when the Apostle Paul would write about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 and 22. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness and self-control. Now, I, I believe that Joseph displayed all of those things. What Joseph displayed was mercy. Now, maybe you've never been in a position quite like Joseph's. But I think we all know what it's like to be hurt or offended. The first characteristic that I certainly need more of that I learned from the life of Joseph is righteous mercy. I need to do my best to do right by other people even when they've done wrong by me. In Celebrate Recovery, which I've been involved in for a number of years, we explain to those on the road to recovery from hurts and hang-ups and habits, uh, it's easy to talk the talk, but it's difficult sometimes to walk that walk. The second characteristic that I need and abundance of is um, obedience. You know, it's what the Lord wants from all of his children, obedience. Biblical obedience to God means to hear and trust, submit, and to surrender to God and his word. I think Joseph knew a lot about obedience. With his background and what we know of him he knew Deuteronomy 11, 26 and 28, which sums it up like this. Obey, and you'll be blessed. Again, at our text in verse 24, with Joseph, there was no hesitation. He, un he understood clearly what God expected of him. and He was, he was ready to obey. The Bible talks a lot about obedience. We see in Philippians 2 and verse 8 that even Jesus showed obedience to death and death on a cross. Number three is humility. Pride sometimes kind of sneaks up on me. Um, the father of lies tries to tell me and convince me that it's um, really all about me. <laughs> it's been said that the hardest lesson in life to unlearn is, <laughs> it's not about you. In verses 20 and 21, 
look there for just a moment. Um, in Joseph's dream, think about this. God gave Joseph a glimpse of the divine plan. I, I'm, I'm taking a little liberty here, I guess, with those passages, but um, can you imagine Joseph's anticipation knowing that he was going to be responsible for the upbringing of the most important child ever born. Wow. Joseph was to fulfill the role of protector and guardian of Jesus. I don't need to make, mean to make light of that, but uh, I've thought about that, and um, I could get pretty prideful over that. Um, I know I speak for all of us here as parents. Uh, we're pretty proud of our kids. We're pretty proud of our kids. And as grandparents, for those of us who are, um, it's, I'm kind of gushing over that sometimes. I'm kind of nauseating over the grandkids sometimes. Um, and rightfully so. And rightfully so. Pride can be a double-edged sword in some instances. It can be used for good and for encouragement and for uplifting, especially of our children. But it's ugly, isn't it, when it becomes boastful and arrogant. We know from God's Word that humility is very important to Him. He says, I give grace to the humble, but I resist those who are proud, who are prideful. I believe that humility was an important characteristic in the life of Jesus' earthly father. I'm certain that Joseph studied Proverbs, and they know we know that they're filled with warnings about refusal to be humble. The New Testament is full of blessings for those who put others before themselves. I don't know, again, I'm speculating, but I believe that when Jesus spoke of God as being a loving Father, he could draw from his youth the kind of love he had received from Joseph. Every time I read that story and I really think about it, I think about this. Um, what would it be like to have the Savior of the world sitting on your lap. Or teaching him as a young boy how to carve something out of a piece of wood. I think about that song that we hear so much this time of year. Mary, did you know? I believe Joseph was a humble man. A little sidebar here, I know that many of you have been to Israel, been to the Holy Lands, I have been, it's been a number of years ago, but I remember going to Bethlehem. I remember that um, 
as we approached the border, Bethlehem was controlled by the Palestinians, and so we came to a checkpoint. The Israeli guide got off the bus. The Palestinian guide got on. We were going to visit the Church of the Nativity, known as Grotto of Nativity. It's in the basement of this church. Um, what I remember uh, about it most impressively at that time was it was in the basement and as we went downstairs and approached this spot that was um, supposedly the birthplace of Jesus. There was a very, very small door that was there. That door couldn't have been any higher than maybe four feet, and it possibly looked to me that it could be lower. I didn't, of course, measure it. But as I stood in line, preparing to go in there that day, I couldn't help but look and notice that everyone that went in had to bow down. I thought, how appropriate, how appropriate to the birthplace of Jesus that we bow down. Lastly, the fourth characteristic, maybe the most important, um, what I need more from the characteristics in life of Jesus is faithfulness. Um, Joseph had unwavering faith. Putting our faith in God is really imperative. We know from Hebrews 11 and verse 6, God says it's really impossible to please me without faith. I believe God is always checking my, maybe yours, I believe God's always checking our faith temperature. I have a very good friend of 40 plus years who now is confined at NHC over here in Cool Springs. He knows me when I'm there, but five minutes after I'm gone, I'm not so sure. I try and go once a week and see him, and if you've been to facilities like that, you know there's protocols that have to be in place before you go in. There's a checklist about your health and if you've been exposed to COVID and different questionnaires. But one of the things that is required is I have to go over to a device that's on the wall and I either have to lean forward and put my forehead close to it or I hold my wrist up and it takes my temperature. Every week when I do that, I think about this. What's my faith temperature today? How am I doing, Lord? How am I doing today? Later in this story, Joseph takes Mary and the infant Jesus to Egypt. He was facing the unknown. He was leaving behind an established carpenter's trade. He was leaving behind his business, his family, his friends. His faith, his unwavering faith in the Father 
made him follow Jesus no matter the cost. So we begin to close today. Mark, if you want to bring your team back up. I thought how appropriate that we had that prayer for the Barums this morning. I, I've been thinking a lot about them as I know you have this week. The tribute, the potluck, the celebration last Sunday and then this week as we all struggled with Melanie at the loss of her mother. I mention them because Dean taught a class on the prophet Micah. I really loved that class. I had read that book, I had studied that book, but as Dean in his always fashionable way pointed out so many things to me in that book that I had maybe missed. Micah, I want to suggest to you this morning, is probably one of the most significant prophecies of Jesus Christ's birth. What we're going to celebrate and what we have been celebrating. It's one of the most significant prophecies of Jesus' birth in all the Old Testament. It's pointing some 700 years before Christ birth to his birthplace in Bethlehem and to his eternal nature. I believe that obviously Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, knew that book. As we enter into this special time of the year, I know Brenda and I wish and pray for you and your family good health and safety and much love. As I uh, anticipate this new year, I, I know all of us sometimes make those resolutions. Um, I'm going to try and take some lessons from a man on display with maybe not much to say who was a simple carpenter but was given a great, great honor. And I think that he held on to the words of the Lord from that book of Micah. Micah 6 and verse 8, and I've had numerous people tell me, oh, that's my favorite scripture, or one of my favorites. It certainly is mine. Micah 6 and verse 8 really talks about all of the characteristics that we looked at this morning of Joseph. God has told us what is good. And he's told us what he requires of his children. Do what is right. Act justly. Love mercy. And walk humbly with our God.